There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a meaty middle about how to brainstorm. A quick and dirty tip about whether you call in sick or call out sick. And another quick and dirty tip about a grammatical get-out-of-jail-free card called Cynesis. Let's get started, and even though this first segment is about brainstorming for writing an essay, you can apply these techniques to lots of other types of writing, too. I used some of them to get started on my books. Sometimes the hardest thing about writing an essay is getting that first sentence down on paper. At times, the first sentence can even become a roadblock to completing the remainder of the project. Luckily, there are brainstorming techniques you can use to fire up your creative thinking and get your essay off to a fast start. The three we'll talk about today are to write a dialogue, to remember the five W's and one H technique, and experiment with mind mapping. When writing a dialogue, pretend you're writing a one-act play in which two people are arguing about your topic. The first person in the dialogue puts forth a point that you're planning to include in your essay. Imagine what the second person will argue in response. Continue by having person A rebut with relevant facts. Sketching out this conversation will help you strengthen your arguments and identify areas where there may be gaps in your knowledge of the topic. Here's a look at how you could start an imaginary dialogue about the topic of term limits for politicians. Person A. The longer members of Congress stay in office, the more out of touch they are with their constituents at home. Term limits are the best solution to this problem. Person B. But being a member of Congress comes with a huge learning curve. People who can serve for multiple terms will be better representatives because they'll be more effective and understand how processes work. Continue this give and take to give yourself an idea of the points and counterpoints that you could address in your essay. Next, it's common for journalists to be trained to include the who, what, when, where, why, and how in their reports. This strategy can work well for brainstorming your essay, too, because it helps you ensure that you're answering all the vital questions. Some of these questions will be easy to answer, and some will be more difficult, often the why and how. But this technique is a great way to quickly wrap your mind around all the key points and assess how you can focus your writing without forgetting any of them. Here's an example of what your first pass might look like if your assignment is to write about a social or cultural impact resulting from the Harry Potter book series. Who? 
J.K. Rowling, author of the series. What contributed to wider tolerance in society as a result of themes in her books? When originated in the 1990s and has continued to build strength over the decades since? Where worldwide, but focusing on societal attitudes and changes in the United States for the purposes of this essay? Why? Because of the important role the themes of diversity and outsider status play in the series. How? The wide popularity of the books has made them extremely influential, to the point where studies have shown that they changed the outlook a generation of readers has on discrimination and tolerance. Finally, experiment with mind mapping. Starting your mind map is simple. Write a few words summarizing your topic in the center of a blank page and draw a circle around them. Then, list your key points around that circle, radiating from the center and connecting to the main topic via lines. You may see relationships between certain key topics, and you can connect those as well with lines. Keep adding lines and new topic circles until all your ideas are on paper. Then go through and make more connections and highlight the areas you want to focus on in your essay. Try color coding to help organize the ideas that can logically be grouped together. This technique should help you focus on key topic sentences to form the main structure of your essay. It's a more visual exercise, so if you prefer working with images, this may be the perfect technique. It's a simple way to outline your main thoughts and to see how they may connect in various ways. You can find lots of templates for mind mapping online, but it's also fine to freestyle it. You may find it more valuable to let your mind go in various directions rather than trying to stick to a specific grid. And you can even do this exercise in physical space with index cards or colored sticky notes that are easy to move around on a wall or tabletop. That segment was written by Laura Vegman, a contributing writer for Varsity Tutors, a live learning platform that connects students with personalized instruction to accelerate academic achievement. Every month or two, I get a question like this one from Scott. He says he's been fighting with his editors over a sentence that's been driving him crazy. Should it be, we want to know the proportion of all M&Ms that is blue— or we want to know the proportion of all M&Ms that are blue. He says, quote, I know that proportion is singular, so the verb that would go with it is is. Clearly, though, it's the M&Ms that are blue, not the proportion. But the proportion needs to be the subject of the sentence. Any other form that we've thought of for the sentence makes it mathematically confusing, unquote. The reason Scott and his editors are frustrated is that there's a prepositional phrase of all M&Ms between the subject and the verb. The general rule is that you're supposed to ignore prepositional phrases when they come between a noun and its verb. But in this case, ignoring the prepositional phrase sounds wrong to a lot of people because it contains a plural, M&Ms, and it's closer to the verb than the noun, the proportion, If you take out the M&M's phrase, you're left with, we want to know the proportion that's blue, which sounds fine. But here's where it gets really frustrating if you like firm rules. Many style guides talk about a concept called synesis that lets you use a plural verb in these cases when the meaning of your sentence has a sense of being plural. Synesis comes from a Greek word that means understanding— 
So they're saying you should go with the understanding of the sentence rather than the strict grammatical structure. Yes, they're saying you can ignore the regular grammar rule about subject-verb agreement and ignoring the prepositional phrases, especially with nouns of multitude, such as proportion, bunch, percentage, and variety. This isn't a new idea. There are references going back to the 19th century. And these are no lightweight, squishy style guides either. Garner's modern English usage, which tends to be on the prescriptive side, says in such sentences you can, quote, justifiably use a plural verb, unquote, and says doing so is, quote, grammatically safe, unquote. But here's the problem in my mind. A lot of people learned the ignore the prepositional phrase rule and have never heard of Cynesis. Scott and his editors even repeat the argument that they know the words the proportion should determine which verb they choose. And then they still write to me to see if I'll give them permission or justification to do what they think is wrong. And that's the problem. I'm giving you a justification, but a lot of people are still going to look at the sentence and think it's wrong. Or at least a few. So if you embrace cynicism, I don't think you're safe, at least not safe from judgment. If you're feeling bold, you can use a plural verb and know that at least some style guides are on your side and most people will think it sounds better. But if you don't want to risk a few people thinking your sentence is wrong, it's best to rewrite it. Scott said they couldn't think of a good rewrite, and I know it's hard sometimes. Here are a couple of rewrites my editor and I came up with. Remember, the original sentence was, we want to know the proportion of all M&Ms that are blue. My rewrite broke it into two sentences. Some proportion of all M&Ms will be blue. We want to know that proportion. And my editor's rewrite was, of all the M&Ms, we want to know the proportion that is blue. So that's your quick and dirty tip. You can use a plural verb with a noun of multitude, like handful, minority, and majority, if it's followed by a prepositional phrase with a plural noun. But I still think there's sometimes a reason to be cautious about doing so. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. 
Next, we're going to talk about a phrase that people say two or even three different ways. This is shaping up to be a nasty flu season, which prompted a listener named Mark to bring up a regionalism I had forgotten about. He said, quote, My girlfriend and I have a bit of a contention with the bug going on and people getting sick. When they call work, do they call in sick or call out sick? Back in 2009, I posed this question to my followers on social media and made a map of their responses, which I'll post on the transcript of this segment at quickanddirtytips.com. I noticed a few interesting things while I was going through the responses to make the map. First, calling out sick seems to be most common in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, although it's heard a bit in other places. Second, a very small number of people, about six respondents, said they say they call off sick, which I'd never heard before. It was too few people to say anything definitive, but they seem to be scattered across a region from Illinois to Pennsylvania that linguists sometimes call the inland northern region. And finally, among the initial responses, a few people said they had worked at different companies in the same city, and at one company, everyone said they call in sick, and at another company, everyone said they call out sick, which led me to suspect that corporate culture or traditions play a role along with regional differences. And follow-up posts on the original map convinced me even more that corporate culture plays a role. I'm not sure whether regionalisms are behind the corporate culture aspect, though. For example, it could be that the human resources departments for the companies that foster a call-out sick culture are located in the regions where that wording is more common. I, I just can't tell. Mark said his girlfriend did indeed live on the East Coast for a few years, and he asked me to say that call-in sick is the right way to say it. Sorry, Mark, I can't do that. It's like saying you stand online instead of saying you stand in line. These are idioms, and they sound weird to those of us who don't live near New York, but they aren't wrong. Some idioms are just different in different parts of the country. This is an interesting one, and I'd love to hear what you think, especially about the role of corporate culture. Do you think it's just a result of companies having regional bases, or do you think it's something else? You can visit the website to look at the map, search the site for Call In Sick, and leave a comment telling me what you think. Finally, thanks to L-D-A-E-L Derek and Metric SoCal, who both appear to be teachers and left nice reviews on Apple Podcasts. And also to Kaiser Soso, who left a nice review, and I do hear what you're saying. Remember that you can find all my podcasts and articles at quickanddirtytips.com. And if you're looking for something new to listen to this week, the Everyday Einstein podcast answers the question, how does sand get its color? Which I liked because I guess I'm still fantasizing about being back on the beaches of South America. I'm Mignon Fogarty. That's all. Thanks for listening. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. 
You don't have to hide how you feel. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.